You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Listening to Flipping Tables, episode fifty-six. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons, and I'm Mike Edwards. And uh, so, I don't think we talked about this last week, but I was I was like on death's door the last episode we recorded. Yeah, you were about dead, and and I got the this teeny tiny little silver lining because I you know I have a young kid at home, so on the weekends try and like spend a lot of family time. But I was a mess, so I was up in my room just playing video games. It was like being twelve <laughs> all over again. And actually, so I borrowed Super Mario Land, Super, wait, Super <laughs> Mario 3D Land, right? Yeah. Because, oh God, there's just like every combination of words. Yeah. There's some Mario game. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not hard. It's not the hardest game in the, no, the Mario really franchise. <laughs> and I just blasted through it. And I'm not like, I'm not an amazing platformer. So, I mean, if, if I was able to just absolutely destroy that game in literally three sittings, then it's, it's just not that hard. And only two white magic invincibility Tanuki suits. All right. None of which were on the final boss. So but that, that's like that game's version of the P suit. Yeah. But it was, I was, I, I caught myself when I was getting close to the end and I knew like the big final boss battle was coming, which they, they punk you on a little bit. It's they kind of like it was like oh wait there's secret extra worlds like at the <laughs> end so that was kind of cool but I caught myself almost being like wow being sick means I have time to play video games I wish I were always sick no 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 nope. can't <laughs> no, do it not that important <laughs> yeah and uh, I'm about halfway through Majora's Mask so you'll get your next binge eventually Woo. yeah it's good is it so I know in uh, when they redid Ocarina. Everybody who had played that game on 64 was like, oh, my God, the water temple is so much better now Be- just because of the boots, like yeah. the stupid on off with the boots. So is there an equivalent for Majora's Mask? It's not as extreme because I, I don't think that game was as broken, but it's a little more generous on like they change locations of some shops. So now like a lot of the thing you have to do is like you have to bank your money or else it disappears when you reset the days. So really? you put your money in the bank. Oh, right, because there's like the time travel. Yeah, mechanic. so every time you Groundhog Day back to the beginning, if you if you didn't store your stuff in the bank, then you're screwed. Um, but uh, they move the bank close to where you start out when you warp back to the beginning. It used to be on a different ah. part of town because one of the first things you're almost always doing is, oh, I got to grab some money so I can go <laughs> live my life. You know, play that mini game to get a piece of heart or buy that object or whatever. So they just streamline those kinds of things, but yeah, and that that to me seems reasonable because otherwise, a large part of the game mechanic is memorizing the quickest path between point A and the money, and it's yeah. like I can I just have my money, just give me my money. I also have to say I think this is the first Zelda that actually has basically a dual analog control scheme. Oh yeah, with the the nublin. Yeah, normally in Zelda games, the the only real camera control you have is pressing the the lock on button, so it, it like goes centers behind you. Right. And other than that, you really don't have direct control of the camera unless you're in like a first person view. 
And now you do. And it turns out running around these little 3D worlds is really nice when you have dual analog. <laughs> and I, I wish that every Zelda game from now on would do that. <laughs> do you remember when uh, Snake Eater first came out, Metal Gear Solid yeah. 3, which is a prequel, which is I kind of hate that. But they they made a big deal of adding camera control. Yeah. Like, you can control the camera. I think that was also only when you're aiming a gun, though. No, until I th- they. I think mm. four was the first truly now, dual analog. Uh, you, I think you're probably <laughs> right, but I know you could do more with the camera in three than you could in any of the previous ones because the previous ones, the angle of the shot was very like Resident Evil style. Yeah, like they chose, yeah, they chose these like it's a high angle or a low angle or it's like right around a corner or it's up tight yeah. to the wall or whatever. I still remember three being frustratingly mostly overhead view, and you just feeling like yeah. you can't see more than twenty feet, and you're like, ah. when well, you're in the jungle a lot, so it's like, oh, look at how pretty these trees are. I wonder what my character's doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down there somewhere in camouflage, completely invisible. So, a week ago you were sick. Why, why are you so tired today, though? <laughs> today I'm exhausted because I stayed up. Till like 3 a.m. almost watching the end of House Cards. Okay. And for the record, it's about 7.30 right now. It is. We record early. <laughs> I take the train into work, so I have to get up very early. I think I got about two and a half hours of sleep. All right. This is not something I normally do, and I just felt like I'm going to be wildly irresponsible today <laughs> so that I can finish House of Cards. And it, you know, I was, because you and I were chatting a little bit online last night, and uh, I got to the last three like i I watched it in in chunks because was it 13 episodes per season so i watched it in chunks and when i got to the last three you were like oh that's a good place to stop because then you have three like the final three kind of go together and by the time you i read that you said that i was like 15 minutes (laughs) into the third last episode and i was like well now i have the last two (laughs) because there's no way i'm stopping this in the middle for no reason yeah and then it was just kind of like there's like a, a mini cliffhanger. And I was like, well, it's already midnight. <laughs> There's only two left. I'm going to be tired anyway. Yeah, let's just wrap this whole thing up. And it's, it's, uh, it was good because I can, I think I honestly would have lost more sleep going to bed thinking about what's going to happen next. Whereas now I just like, I was like, oh, okay. And I mean, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but I was like, okay, the season's over. They, you know, they, they wrapped up the story arc of this season and now they've like tipped you off for what's coming and okay, now I can relax yeah. for another year. <laughs> you just have to get it out of your system. Yeah. It's, I think that's to me, for me, I mean, I'm also the guy who has no problem with spoilers, but like to me, it's a lot easier to just be like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm done now. That's fine. Relief. See you in 11 months or whatever. I think that's what my brother said was like, same time next year, Frank. <laughs> yeah. It's. I mean, you are you still happy with the show? Yeah, I'm. I'm all right. <laughs> I, I'm just concerned that it's going to drag on too long. But if 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 they just do one more season, I think that would be it'd be good. That'd be a good way to do it. Well, I was just I was really surprised in the last episode when uh, Claire murders Frank <laughs> and becomes Queen of America like that. <laughs> I'm like I'm excited to see what they do with that storyline because that was very interesting to me. You know, there's somebody listening right now who hasn't watched it, and they're like, "Oh my god, <laughs> oh my god, Queen!" <laughs> not, not the other thing. No, yeah, she becomes 
the the band queen of America. <laughs> so tell me about the FCC ruling. Tell so everyone the about FCC the did as they had basically indicated they were going to do, and they revealed a plan to regulate ISPs at under Title II as utilities. Yes, and I I didn't realize. Did you watch the whole thing live? No, I saw. I was basically live tweeting, watching the live tweeting. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, the live event was the stream was so broken. It was really bad. <laughs> the live tweets were actually a way more reliable uh, way to stay up on it. But I was surprised. Like a, a few of my friends that are deeply involved in politics were like, "Well, Wheeler's a formal former cable lobbyist. Like, there's yeah, no way." Was pissed when he was appointed. Yeah, there's like a lot of people whose opinions I really respect were like, "There's no way he's going to vote for this. He's just putting on a show." And then it came down. It was split. Yeah. And then when he voted for it, I was like, oh, thank God. He's actually doing the things he said he was going to do. Yeah. Well, I think that for a while it, I couldn't blame those people because he would publicly say things about like, well, we don't want to – well, we don't want to do this. We don't want to – like I think you know, biz- the businesses should be allowed to do these horrible things. And oh, yeah. Like the rhetoric was worth damning. <laughs> Um, but then after, you know, sometime after John Oliver inspiring all the trolls <laughs> in the world to, to come forth and yell and, and four million comments going to the FCC and breaking their servers, I think there was an actual case of public outcry changing policy or at least redirecting I, efforts. Yeah, I think it definitely had an influence. And I think he probably as a former lobbyist was kind of pissy over what happened what I guess early in 2014 where he was like, Oh, Hey guys, we're, we need to regulate you a little bit. So we're going to put these things in and then immediate lawsuits immediately turned over yeah. in the Supreme court you for have not to wonder, being, having legal authority. Yeah. Do you wonder, was he just like, Oh, now it's on. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, Verizon, AT&T and Comcast wish they could like, you know, step back a year and like accept the little regulation instead of what they're getting now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like, they took kind of a big gamble by just being like, no, no regulations of any kind. And it's like, yeah, you know, we tried to meet you halfway. Yeah. Actually, speaking, speaking of evil Comcast, here's a quick anecdote. So last night I'm on the train going home and I get a phone call from Comcast trying to upsell me to a, a new product. And I was very polite to the guy. You know, he was, he was nice, but I feel for him a little bit because he's jumping around in a script based on my responses. So like he's trying to tell me about their television package and I said, "Well, I don't I don't watch normal TV. I just I time shift everything and the services I have for that are fine." And you can hear him like <laughs> you're jumping around trying to get to the right spot in his script, which makes him sound like a simpleton cuz he's like, "Uh, but uh, DVR. Well, no, yeah. I don't need DVR. Yeah. Shut and up. Then he tried to they have I guess some some mobile package that you can access uh, like their certain channels from your mobile device if you have, you know, TV service at home as well. And I was just like, I don't watch normal television. And I just want to tell them, like, dude, I'm not trying to sound like a hipster. I just I have a full-time job and a one-year-old. I can't, you know, every night, seven on Thursdays is when I sit down for must-see TV. <laughs> like, I just, I can't. And now that I've been unable to do that for so long, I've kind of grown used to it and i sort of like it so yeah and then he he was like well how do you feel about your your current internet speed because what he was really trying to get me up to was be like, a shame if anything happens <laughs> <laughs> well, i told him i was just like it's adequate and he was like oh so you're not 
happy with it? And I was like, no, it's adequate, meaning I feel ambivalent about it. <laughs> it's the amount of performance I'm it's getting what I need. <laughs> for the amount of money I'm paying is acceptable. <laughs> so if you want to offer me something more for the same amount of money, then we can talk. But I don't want to pay for stuff I don't want. Yeah. And he just like he didn't know what to do with that. I'm sure the, the word ambivalent is nowhere in his script prompt. So <laughs> Ambivalence. Ooh. Yeah. Hit him with this. Yeah, but I, and I toward the end of the conversation, I started to feel like it was a little like, no, Ma, Yeller's my dog. Like, I needed to put that conversation yeah. down way earlier than I did, but instead I was just like, no, I'll just keep answering your questions till you flounder and run out yeah. of air. So with this net neutrality thing, just because we got the result we wanted doesn't mean there wasn't a bunch of a douchey politics going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I think I, I mentioned to you like right before the vote, like in the two days leading up to it, I was just getting spammed with all these like hot recommended on Google Plus of people who are anti-net neutrality. It's like, okay, one, guys, the decision's already made. Like all these people have already spoken in the back rooms. The vote is already set in stone. Nobody's going to – nobody who we know is going to oppose it is going to come out at the last minute and be like, JK, voting along her outside party lines. You know, like it's just not going to happen. Wheeler's vote I think was the only one that was like in contention. But he had given every public indication that he was he was shepherding it this way. No, I agree. That's why when – It would have been really surprising I think yeah, for him to go that, against it. That's why when I, I had friends that were saying like I don't think he's going to vote for it. I was like no, 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 no. Don't do this to me. <laughs> he's, he's been so positive on it. But uh, I mean the, so the, the consumerist – and we'll, we'll throw this in the show notes at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 56 um, – they, you know, always take a very level-headed approach to everything, and and they listed like, okay, they passed net neutrality, but here's what we still don't know. And uh, if you're a slacker and you don't listen to this episode for a couple of weeks, then we might actually have answers to these questions. But right now, we still don't know exactly what the rules say, exactly what things are gonna be in forbearance. And I have to say, as an angry non-political person, everyone was freaking. All the anti-net neutrality people. All of them freaking out. They're like, why don't we know what the rules say? It's like, do you know what the rules of any other FCC ruling ever said? No, because it's policy. It's that just they this don't. one's been politicized. I'm just amazed that net neutrality is not something that I think should be politicized. I think it's it's obviously something everyone, unless you are Comcast, can can find a way to get behind. If you are a free market libertarian, invisible hand <laughs> kind of person... I think you should like net neutrality yeah. more than the alternative. I just uh. – Well, I, I honestly think this is – I've, I've felt this way for a long time with a lot of like duh political issues where people vote along their party line or their – you know with the special interests that support them or whatever because that's what they have to do. But they sleep at night because they know they're on the wrong side and that side's going to lose. So like the I, I don't remember his name, but the guy who is the most outspoken every time it came his turn, the commissioner to speak on why he was voting the way he was voting, he was like so down on it. Like everything sucks. This is Christmas is canceled. Like if we do this, yeah. everything will be ruined. And then you can see on the live stream, there's probably a video of it somewhere, but you can you can see him visibly relax when 
they do the final vote because it was broken up. It's actually like three or four resolutions they had to vote on. And when they were done and they all passed, he visibly relaxes like, oh, thank God, the right thing happened. So you're reminding me I have to share with you, John Hodgman tweeted out a collection of like political cartoons that are purportedly why net neutrality is bad. <laughs> and and every single pain is the, the phrase, the cartoonist has no idea how net neutrality works. <laughs> and I, I'm going to send this to you because I didn't, I didn't have it in mind at, ahead of time. But um, <laughs> we'll throw it in the show notes. But it's, it's amazing because it's all the usual, like the internet is anthropomorphized and it's all tied up and whatever. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I respect whenever someone photoshops a comic that they try and stick to the font style that was used. Yeah. <laughs> these are actually, this is funny because someone, all these artists probably put a lot of time into this, this anti net neutrality propaganda. And then someone else spent 10 minutes photoshopping it and made them into <laughs> really excellent pro net neutrality propaganda. Yeah, so like it shows a guy frustrated at home waiting for his stream or download to begin, and like the TV screen says, "Your download will begin when the FCC says it will." And yeah. then there's this lady next to him that says, "The cartoonist has no idea how net neutrality <laughs> works." <laughs> and it's just so perfect. Yeah, this is uh, this whole th- every time I've heard someone come out against net neutrality. I've, I've, because I'm lucky that no one I, I deal with personally is staunchly anti-net neutrality. So unfortunately, the the downside of that is the only people I've noticed are possibly morons on the internet. They may be perfectly reasonable people, but it's really difficult to have a measured political discussion on the internet with a stranger. Because everything you type sounds like terse and angry. If you try and explain yourself, it sounds like you're backpedaling and trying to to flip flop. It's very very difficult. And I just – I wanted to ask these people like, hey, in your argument, you make a bunch of nonsensical like hand-waving, but you didn't actually list any reasons. So could you give me some reasons yeah. that this is actually a problem? And I've been reading through comment sections of people who are willing to have those pointless arguments and it's just this crazy like it's pro you know hand-waving and then crazy anti-hand-waving and it's yeah. like – no, people who are pro net neutrality, like you actually do have facts to support your argument. Don't just scream and rant and rave. Like use your reason. Yeah. Even if there's the backfire effect, which makes me sad, but it's like at least then you can say you tried. The most common fake reason I see against net neutrality is has to do with setting prices, which it does not it, have anything to do with. Yeah, does not do that. <laughs> uh, so anyway, it, the internet kind of was in an interesting space Friday when the vote happened, uh, or Thursday, I Thursday. think it was. Thursday, um, yeah. And it, it was a weird day for me because like, I, I had a little quick band practice and I was playing a show. So there was like from like 4 o'clock onward, I pretty much wasn't on the internet. And I come back and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Because <laughs> there's llamas and there's a damn dress everyone is talking about. <laughs> And I, I just remember messaging you like, what the hell <laughs> happened? Well, I think this is the internet. This is how the internet celebrates stuff. Like <laughs> they got what they wanted, which to be fair is it was the right thing to have. And then their response was like, now let's be as internet as we can possibly internet. <laughs> and for like two hours, everyone was obsessed with llamas. And then for like 12 hours, 
everyone was obsessed with this dress. And when I mentioned this the next day to my wife, Susan, I was just like, so did you, uh, did you see that thing about the dress? And she's a very soft spoken, like easygoing person. And she was just like, I don't want to No, We're not talking about that. It's stupid. And I don't want to talk about that stupid dress. I was like, oh, this is so dumb that like you actually have a stance on this, like that. That that's like a really powerful litmus test yeah. in my household. I, I do have to call out uh, Sony's Australian Twitter account. They had a brilliant troll post. Oh, is that Sony Australia? That I think that? I'm pretty sure it was the Australian branch. And they they uh, I'll find the tweet and put it in the show notes. But they posted a picture of their blue and black PlayStation controller. And they're like announcing the white and gold PlayStation controller. <laughs> it's just like well played, PR agency, social media maven. You are on the zeitgeist. <laughs> and there was a lot of words in those sentences. Yeah, <laughs> very think, little meaning. Did I say intersectionality? Maybe not. No, <laughs> okay. but but it's good that you did now. Yeah. So this is the reason I had a hard time with this is like you know I we have like dinner family time and then I put my daughter to bed and then. Like I sit down at my laptop. So I was only away for like 45 minutes or an hour. You know, you were away for like a big chunk of the afternoon. And I sit down and I'm like, oh, there's all these people freaking out about some dress. So then like I, you know, followed the hashtag and found the image and was like, what is it's blue and black. What the hell is everybody <laughs> freaking out about? And then like the more I dug into it, the more I was starting to convince myself like this is a joke. This is a joke that I missed the origin of. No one actually believes this is white and gold. And then I started to find tweets from people that like I know and trust. And they're like, man, I was looking at it and, and it was blue and black. And then all of a sudden, like the lights changed in my house and now it's white and gold. Or, you know, I was looking at it for hours and it was white and gold. And I got into a big fight with my spouse. And, you know, then I looked at this thing and it's Photoshop and there's a slider that shows you what color it is. And I was like, oh, dear God, this is serious. Like there's really people who have no idea what the hell the color of this dress is. And I, so how long did you spend with this before you opened it in Photoshop and used the color chooser? Because for me, it was about six minutes. Yeah. I mean, I had already seen Adobe retweeted someone that did the same thing and posted the actual hex values right. for the color. Um, to me, the, the people that went white and gold, it was never about the literal color of the pixel on the dress. It was the interpretation of is it in shadow? Is it is in the context what white balance of the photo? Um, for me, it was uh, at night. The first time I looked at it, I was like, "Yeah, it's blue and black." It's people are crazy, crazy town, crazy <laughs> and, pants. And then the next day, the insanity set and in. And then in the day, I checked it out again, and I it was like I still saw blue and black, but I could also see the other interpretation, and it wasn't crazy town. It was like, <laughs> oh, I get why people say the other colors. But on its face, it sounds so absurd. Like, how could people confuse blue and black and white and gold? Well, and this is what started to drive me crazy about it was not that – because, I mean, I've I've seen other optical illusions. Like, I understand that the brain can be fooled. What bothered me about it was that people were using these flat color drawings with heavy color saturation 
and these like crazy like sliders that would change the saturation of the real photograph. Like, oh, well, you see, if you do this, and then you stand on your head, and then yeah. you get really drunk, and <laughs> then it looks white and gold. Even and like, with those, it was obvious to me that when you would drag it to the white and gold direction, the photo no longer looked like it was part of reality. Yeah, it's and so when you drag out. it, when you drag it to blue and black, it was still a shitty photo, but it was like, oh, that could have been a real photo, right? And so that just made it even more obvious what the real color was. Yeah. And and this is – so I just have to throw this out there. When you look at a photograph, you're allowed to examine more than one part at a time and then take all those parts as a whole and then that's how you see things. <laughs> like that's how vision works. And uh, that's why I just – the world I, forgot how to vision. They they completely forgot how to vision. Like, and I saw I have some friends on Twitter that are like designers. Like, color and lighting is a huge part of their skill set, and yet they were still like, "Oh man, I was looking at it for like an hour, and it was white and gold." And then I, I went to the bathroom, and I came back, and it was blue and black. And it's like, okay, first off, you're spending entirely too much time on this. <laughs> like, you can I, let's watch a movie or something. Like, you need yeah. to step away from this. And secondly. You know what color it is. <laughs> so I've, I've actually, just for our listeners to test themselves, I posted a link to an online color test, which I took yesterday and got a four, which uh, zero is apparently the best you can do on it. Yeah, I think it's it's probably counting like number of errors. Yeah. And then I took it again on my not quite as sharp laptop screen and got a 24 or 27 or something. Yeah. And uh, I just want, you know, if you're listening and you ha- you didn't know how you felt about the dress, take this color <laughs> test and see if you actually see colors correctly. Or you might be testing your monitor more than you're testing yourself, but in any case. That's true. Because I, I think my vision is, I mean, it's good. It's not perfect. I don't have the, the eyes and ears of a hawk, but um, I do have pretty sharp vision. And uh, when I took it on my laptop, I was surprised because yeah. I, I got like a 29 or 31 or something. Not great. So it, I want to – I think the monitor in my office is better. I got to take it again. This is also something where gender matters that uh, about, I think it's about one in every 250 women have a color deficiency. It's like one in 12 for men. Yes. So we, we are more likely to suck at color. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's because it's on the – like it takes a certain pair that's more likely to occur in male chromosomes – uh, but yeah, it's if you are a colorblind woman, like you lost the lottery, <laughs> won the lottery. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I just, I never want to talk about the dress again. Now, like we've gotten yeah. it out, it's on the air now, and now I'd like get to your be eyes done, checked. Done forever. Um, <laughs> so some video game news. Uh, some news came out that Valve is partnering with HTC and making the Vive a virtual reality headset with some impressive specs. So it delivers. Uh, like a, a full HD image to both eyes and purportedly will be at a 90 frames per second refresh rate. Which really is, fast. Which is what you need to to have more immersive. I think 60 was kind of the watermark people were aiming at before. Yeah. And, I mean, I know, like, with film, your eyes are more forgiving because film is blurry. That's why 24 frames per second doesn't look awful. Right. When you play a video game at 24 frames per second, especially if it's, like, a fast-paced shooter, it's terrible. <laughs> or, you know, it's, like, barely acceptable. But um, impressive, I mean, I think you said it the other day, I, it's just a product category I really want to try. You can't just watch videos of it or see pictures. Like, Yeah, it just, well, the the press video that's on the uh, the article that we linked to in the show notes, it's, 
I mean, it's beautiful. It tells me nothing. It's all teaser. It's all teaser. It's all, it's real people and then CGI scapes around them. They need to like go to every mall and GameStop and just install something. This is the thing. If, if Valve announced or HTC announced like, oh, we're going to have a little mini store inside every Best Buy. I'd be like, I'd put it on my calendar, like yeah. Saturday morning, go to Best Buy, try out the Vive. And I know Nintendo did that with the Wii and the 3DS, and a little more than I think they've actually done events for like when games are coming out, they'll like just a Best Buy will have it. Like, right. I think it was during E3 one year. It was like the same E3 demos were also shipped to some Best Buys. So well, Valve should do that. Well, the, the thing that piqued my interest a little bit with this one in particular. The Vive. That's uh, <laughs> terrible. Um, I guess it's not any dumber than Oculus Rift. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty bad. Um, but they, th- So this one talks to like a wireless base station that you have in your room, and it allows you to move in up to a 15 by 15 foot space and still communicate with the base station, which will do a thing. Okay. Like they're again, it's like I understand technically, like, okay, they're talking, so I'm getting information about the space that I'm in. I understand the words. Yeah, but it's like I have no idea what that experience will be like. So like I have to be in an empty fifteen by fifteen room. Like I Who has one of those after you know, after moving in somewhere. Yeah. I mean it's like so I just okay, you know, honey, don't put anything in here. This is now the Vive room <laughs> where that that is where we play video games with no couch, no TV. <laughs> It's just, but I mean, it's it's probably cool, and I'm sure I would like to try it. But seeing it in words on in the articles, like I know nothing yeah. now. the The best thing about the announcement was they said it would release calendar year 2015 because most of these other projects have kind of vague. And you, know, if too many years go by, you're going to be like, okay, vaporware. Do you are you actually going to be a thing? Yeah. Like Project Morpheus was unveiled by Sony last summer. No word Still, on yeah. when that's happening. The Oculus Rift, is, I mean, it got a lot more encouraging when Facebook bought them in the sense that it seems like they're going to actually have something to release. But when? I'm looking forward to virtual reality Farmville. That's <laughs> That has been so high on my dream list. It just shows you your friends and you just tap their shoulders and go, hey, buddy, hey, hey buddy, help hey, can, me. Can hey, you water my tomatoes? Hey, can you, hey <laughs> I need a coin. So it's possible... Uh, I'm going to speculate a little bit. The The base station thing is because this is all battery powered. No cables coming yeah, off of it. Yeah, you don't want any cords. Because that, like, maybe I don't have a 15 by 15 space, but if I'm, you know, pantomiming like a sword fight or something, I don't want to accidentally rip the helmet off my head because my foam Wii U sword, like, hit the cable <laughs> that comes off the front of my eyes. Yeah. So like I you know that I can imagine that like I can imagine a wireless object I use those all the time I'm using one right now yeah. but I still don't really have a feeling for how that would impact a virtual reality thing because I've never really done that You kind of made me think of a topic I'm just going to toss out as a show topic now and and that is if you think of these as sort of like they're not controllers they're really the way you see a game it's more like a display but what are the worst controllers cuz you mentioned a cord coming out of your headset, and I have to say, the Dreamcast controller having the cord <laughs> come out the bottom, yeah, was just such a mistake. <laughs> yeah, I was actually never a fan of the uh, 
the N64 or the GameCube controller. The GameCube controller was good for Smash Brothers, and I hated it for everything else. I, I have to say hindsight is twenty twenty on the N64 controller being crazy pants. <laughs> it was really crazy. <laughs> like, none of the individual buttons are bad, but the thing as a whole is crazy and insane. Yeah. I guess the worst part is the joysticks wear out, and they don't seem to do that as badly these days or maybe yeah. i just don't play the way i did when i was 12 as intensely <laughs> yeah well so you did you ever own an xbox or did you ever yes play? yeah so the original xbox controller was like the size of my laptop and like it was just huge and thick yeah there and their buttons are bad and they should feel bad <laughs> well and i do remember like when the the ps4 was very early on announced and then they finally leaked the controller with like the little light bar and the share button and yeah. stuff Every, everyone was kind of like, oh, well, it's a, it's a PlayStation controller. That's what they've looked like since literally the very first yeah. PlayStation. And anyone who complained about that, I was like, no, this is not a space where you want innovation. This is a space where you want incremental improvements. If they couldn't improve anything except the placement of the triggers because the grips were already perfect, yeah. why would you want them to change that? I mean, the the first PlayStation controller was basically a Super Nintendo controller with extra L and R. And the big hand grip part. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of the the layout of the controller, it was oh, yeah. like, oh, this made a lot of sense. Let's do this. Yeah, D-pad and four face buttons it was like a legacy. Yeah. I mean, the the original Nintendo controller only had two, and the Sega Genesis had three, three or, or six, six. <laughs> depending on which Did crazy you one you play got. Street Fighter on Genesis without a six-button controller? No, it was impossible. Do you remember the, what you did to switch between punch and kick? You had to press start. No, I don't remember yeah, that. There's no select button on Genesis. There's yeah. only start. So, oh my god. So yeah, you were only punching, <laughs> and then you had to press start to actually get the kick. It's like, can you hang? Don't hit me. I got to switch using my legs. Guys, stop! Hang on. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sega uh, was not known for their brilliant controllers. No, I don't, I don't it's the same company that had the activator. Yeah, and I think Genesis controllers are some of my least favorite. They aren't like too tragically bad but the original three button one is not great mushy oh, everyone i've ever used kind of mushy yeah yeah i can feel you on that <laughs> see to me the definitive controller is the super nintendo controller yeah followed very closely by any of the playstation controllers and i know like if you're if you're a big shooter person or you play a lot of sport games you probably had an xbox and the xbox 360 controller is great well, for that, for their analog sticks are pretty much the best. Yes. The D-pad. Their D-pad has <laughs> never been good. Nope. Which, to be fair, if you don't play any game that needs a D-pad, then maybe you don't care. It's like, yeah, that is tragically bad, but affects no one. <laughs> right, exactly. So, And the they changed up the placement so the, yeah. the D-pad was where one of the left analog stick would be so that it was more comfortable. Like They put some thought into it. Yeah. I still prefer a PlayStation where controller. Where I encounter it is I hook up 360 controllers to my PC when I emulate, and playing retro games with their D-pad is terrible. Yeah. Playing digital games with an analog stick is also terrible. Yep. So yeah, which I, is- I got to go PlayStation when I emulate now, or actually now I have a Bluetooth controller, but... You do have that beautiful Bluetooth controller. <laughs> have you actually used the little stand part yet with your iPad? Yeah, I tried it, and then I have never done it again. Not that okay. Yeah, I am. Um, 
I've only ever used a, a PlayStation controller if I'm going to emulate something uh, or if I'm just playing a PC game that supports controls. The crappy part about that is if it's a PC game that supports controllers, it has all the colors for Xbox buttons. Yep. So there's a part of my brain dedicated entirely to like translating that. It's like, oh, well, I don't speak French, but I know like these five words in French just so that I can translate them into <laughs> English because I hear them all the time. Like it's really awkward when they're like press A and I'm like square it is or <laughs> it's actually X. Yeah, and since we've talked about this previously about the left to right, right to left on A, B, and Y, and X, and that always throws me off. And then also a lot of games just refer to it as like button one, button two, button three, button oh, four. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, I'm using a PlayStation controller. So which one? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> it, yeah, at least with the Xbox, you can do the transpose and figure it out. But yeah, if they're like, press the action button. I'm like, I don't know what you just want yeah. me to do. <laughs> Those are not, there's no map that I can find out what the action button is. That's yeah. That's where the the lack of a standard on PC is just painful and not actually useful. Which it's a little weird because I know that like the PlayStation controller identifies itself to my laptop. Like when I plug it in, it actually says Sony PlayStation controller. So it would be nice if games could look at it and be like, oh. Don't put the little stupid A graphic for the button. Put the little stupid X graphic. Well, especially graphic. since most of these games I play with a controller and PC are games that were also made for PlayStation and Xbox, like yeah. multi-platform games. So it's like you already made all the assets and code for rec- like showing the UI of a PlayStation controller. So why can't you just show me that? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing this is one of those, uh, like the ROI is just so low. Because like I've never not played a game yeah. because it showed the buttons for an Xbox controller. I've never just been like, oh no, I'm out. You show me A's instead of X's. We cannot do business there. So it's like, why would they put any effort into it if it doesn't turn me off from actually playing? Yeah. So I guess in conclusion, the N64 controller is probably the the worst controller or the worst successful controller of all time. I will say when so you uh you you like to buy old games just over and over and over and over. So <laughs> Nintendo's at least. Yeah, Nintendo's old games. So do you ever ever play like the original Mario or something on your Wii with the Wiimote sideways? Yeah, if it's a NES game, I kind of prefer the Wiimote. Oh, see that there? No. <laughs> to me, that is the worst experience because only a child's hands are so small that something only half an inch wide <laughs> is comfortable to grip. Well, these days on the Wii U, I just play with a tablet controller. So Right, which is gigantic. <laughs> yeah. So It's like the opposite. You're holding this in giant, huge face buttons spread well, all over the I think I got irritated on the Wii because if you wanted to play with a the classic controller, you had this whole extra cable coming out of a Wiimote and... Um, now on the Wii yeah. U, I can I have a Pro controller and I can just use that, and it's not attached to anything. So I would probably go for that. See, I would because the Pro controllers are cool, no doubt. I mean, it's basically a Super Nintendo controller, but I would use the classic controller attached to the Wiimote instead of just the Wiimote. Like yeah. it's it's so tiny, <laughs> it, it, my hands are cramping thinking about trying to play Mario with that thing. Uh, so we gotta. I I want to give a quick mention of this about the WordPress API just because I, I thought it was interesting. Um, so, I mean, everyone who has ever made a website on all of the internet has probably used WordPress. 
Yeah. Um, if you've ever written on somebody else's blog, you've almost definitely used WordPress. Like it's just – it's everywhere. Um, I think you had a WordPress site for a while, right? Yep. Probably a couple. Years. Yeah. yeah. So it's if you've never used it, it's a database-heavy PHP application, which means it's old and it's kind of vulnerable <laughs> and it's not good at a lot of things. So most WordPress installations are like, especially for a large like company, they're so heavily modified and WordPress, uh, kind of, I don't know if this is like an official announcement or if this is just someone who, who works closely with the organization, but they are at some point in the near future, they're killing the WordPress admin interface as we know it, and they're going to turn it into an API. So You'll install the WordPress application, and then on top, you can use any interface you want. Yeah. So if all you're going to do is blog and you really like Ghost, somebody could write an interface that looks and functions exactly like Ghost, and but it talks to WordPress underneath. Yeah. And then if you want like this crazy site management CMS, I'm trying to do more with this than it was ever designed to do, <laughs> then you can build an admin interface like that, and it's... Yeah, for your company, if you only want employees to see like a text box and a submit button after signing in, you could do that. Like, exactly. You could make it stripped down or, or crazy complicated. Yeah, and because it's an API on the back end, you can, if you want your admin interface to be written in ClojureScript or you want to write it in Haskell or Ruby or whatever, like you can talk to that API with whatever you want. So it just seems like this will make WordPress more a little more nimble going forward. I think it'll make it a lot more nimble, and I think this is actually a very smart response to some of their competition, like Ghost, because now they're like, oh, we can still keep building WordPress for the crazy enterprise solutions, but now only one person has to build a little stripped-down admin interface, and suddenly Ghost is now useless. Like it, it, It offers nothing compared to WordPress once you take away all that heavy front end. Yeah. And that's always been my, like, after the first few versions of WordPress, that admin interface did just kind of blow up into a million options. Like the classic, buttons. classic I'm trying to please absolutely everyone, and that's not going to happen. And as a result, WordPress is kind of complicated. Like if I sit someone down who wants to get into blogging that is not a, a, a techie, um, WordPress is intimidating. It right is. <laughs> And I mean, like I, I write for an organization and I also kind of do like editing proofreading for, for a friend of mine that's works with WordPress, like his his full-time career. And if you log into those two interfaces, they look nothing alike. <laughs> it's like, oh, these are both WordPress, except they're not at all. And that's fine. But part of the promise of having ubiquitous software is that like you become familiar with it, right? So it's like if I sit down at my PC and I use Word then I sit down at someone else's PC and use Word, I expect them to look and behave pretty similar. Yeah. But WordPress, like the admin interface, is so clunky. They've been customizing it so much for so long that now you you basically have to relearn it every time. <laughs> and I mean it's you know, it's a box you type into, you hit save or publish or whatever. So it's not yeah, it's not a nuclear fusion reactor, but yeah, it's still. But there's like, so many wrong places to go. If I'm if I'm setting someone new up with a blog, it's like, well, what's a page? Well, what's a widget? Well, what's right. what's a tag? What's a category? Why is there categories and tags? Yeah, and that's that's why I think this API solution is a good one because then somebody's like, well, I just want a box I type words into, and it's like, oh, well, 
we'll give you the word box typing admin interface and you won't even see any of that other crap because it will literally not be there. Yeah. It's not that it's there and it's hidden. It's, it's not there. It's also a reminder of the, the earlier days of Twitter being open that you kind of had a UI playground of people are like, oh, this is a great service and I don't have to invent the infrastructure. I can just play in the UI space. And so there are all these interesting apps um, Twitter apps early on before they closed it and became a douche. Yeah, and, and I wonder this was the promise of App.net. Yeah, that too. Um, so I wonder if WordPress, there will be a lot of enthusiasm in that community of building UIs for blogging, and we'll see a little more experimentation because you don't have to start an, a wildly successful open source project <laughs> called Ghost and actually build your entire stack. You can just be like, no, I just. I have this idea for how writing should work, and I don't care about the database. Right now, you don't have to. Yeah, yeah. It's the the infrastructure layer is the part. There are people who care, and I'm glad they care because it's it's important. And it needs to be handled, but that's not the part most people care about. And it's a part I think a lot of people just don't even understand. Like if you say to someone like, "Oh, well, all you need to install WordPress is a you know Lamp stack running." You know, like Apache, you need MySQL because the database backend and it's got to have at least, you know, like four or five PHP. They're like, yeah. what? I want to type in a box. <laughs> I mean, part of me is kind of proud of WordPress for sticking with something that clearly has worked for 10 years, even though everyone's like, oh, PHP, oh. Oh, yeah. Um, no, PHP is the whipping boy. I saw a tweet the other day of, of it was a developer that said, like, well, that was quick because it was a, a retweet of someone else that was saying it was some documentation that was like, if you're using something old like node.js. Ugh. And they're like, wow. <laughs> That's already like old. Yeah, it's. I don't even think Node has hit 1.0 yet. They're already crapping. There's already some developer hipster. It's like, nah, that's 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 so last week, dude. We we don't have to get into a big thing about this, but there was a Node like the community splintered. So like a bunch of the core Node people didn't like the way the project was going, so they formed io.js and. <sighs> Then a bunch of people were like, well, we prefer the way io.js is going, so we're going to go with that community. And now there's like this crazy like Hatfields and McCoys. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it, like now. Oh, man. Shelby watched that series. <laughs> the best thing about Hatfields and McCoys was how often they said Hatfield or McCoy. <laughs> yelling, usually. That, yeah. Hatfield, <laughs> I'll get you, McCoy. Yeah. But it's like now there's like this big reconciliation effort to bring these two communities back together. And it's like this is this is on track to be the shortest and <laughs> dumbest civil war like ever because you like there's something like this happened in Rails. Like a big part of the Rails community fractured I think around like the 2.0 version. And then they did a bunch of smart stuff and then they were like brought back into the fold. And they were like let's just agree to like disagree. churches like yeah, <laughs> different denominations and like no, it's ecumenalism, man. Come on, come in. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very weird. But I'm 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 excited to see what WordPress does with this. So if you're getting ready to set up a blog, you're probably going to install WordPress anyway. So <laughs> you got something interesting to yeah. look forward to now. Don't go to Wix or Weebly. Never, you never go Wix or Weebly. Yeah, never go, never go any. Not even let alone full. <laughs> do, you, do you listen to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me? No. Okay, so I listen to the podcast version when they like do small ad inserts, just like you would hear on any other podcast. And uh, one of their sponsors is Wix, and like every time I'm like, Peter, you're better than this. You're, <laughs> you, I know you do not actually support this platform, Peter. You're better than this. 
You can do NPR. You don't need this blood money. Yep. Just sell more tote bags for God's sake. So Google's got had some news recently. Uh, there's there's two little points of interest we can touch on quickly. First is that uh, it was announced that Google Plus would officially be splitting photos from what they're now calling streams, which is what you may have known as Google Plus. Yeah. A lot of people are heralding this as like, oh, this is a sign. It's the end times. And I don't think it is. I really honestly believe that from early on, Google said to themselves, like, if if Google Plus is wildly crazy successful, maybe we'll keep it as one giant monolithic app. But then the entire culture, even having nothing to do with Google Plus, the entire culture was like, no, break stuff up into small separate apps. You know, nobody wants to use Facebook photos. They want to use Instagram. Nobody yeah. wants to use Facebook Messenger. They want to use WhatsApp. You know, and it's like Facebook owns those things and everybody's more or less fine with that. And actually, to their credit, they haven't really changed Instagram whatsoever. Nope. It works fine. Yeah. It's It's just they acquired the threat to their photo dominance. Yeah. But they also didn't fold it into their photos. They didn't start saying like, oh, well, Facebook Photos is now an Instagram company or or any stupid nonsense. I mean, we've talked about this in the past about the appification of the web or um, the unbundling of the web that you know, Microsoft has lived off the back of selling Office as a suite. Right. But now the consumerization of IT has made people go, well, I don't want an Office suite. I want something to crunch some numbers in a spreadsheet. Yeah. And so I'm not buying a village. I just want the one house. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it would be kind of weird if the only stores in town were malls. Yeah. Right. It's like, no, I just want to go to this one store. It's like, well, you got to go to the mall. Like, but I don't want to go park and walk through the whole mall. Yeah. Can I just drive to the store I want? So Google's clearly responding to that. But I, I remember when they introduced Google Plus, they basically announced it like this is the new Google. This is the future of Google. This is oh, the did. identity layer. And it seems like they've had to change direction a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think they they wanted it to be more successful than it was. But people love the photo app. I think in general people are pretty happy with Hangouts. And, yeah, I think Hangouts and both is... of those yeah, both of those things came from the this Google Plusification. <laughs> and to me the one thing that actually came out of all of this that is indisputably valuable but is also not like sexy and forefront and user facing so it doesn't really get a lot of press is when they did this they also unified all of their uh user agreements. So like First off, that made legal stuff way simpler for them and for anybody who had to like go through litigation. But the important thing it did was now, like, if you have a Google account, you just have a Google account. Yeah. Do you want to use Drive? Go ahead and use it. You Sign don't want in. To, yeah. You're done. You don't want to use it? Don't. You want to use Hangouts? Go ahead. You don't? Don't. Like, all that stuff, like YouTube, Google+, Plus, like, that just all came along for the ride. Whereas before you had to sign up for everything separately and treat everything separately, even though you're dealing with the same company. And what I want is the legal nonsense and the account nonsense to be centralized. And then I want to just use the pieces that are important to me. You know, like I I actually don't use Google Plus as much as I used to, but the need that it meets for me is still really valuable. Um, I love their photo service. I love backing stuff up. It's all automatic on my phone and everything. Like I still use Hangouts a lot. So like I, I don't want those things to go away. 
But I also don't want them to say like, oh, well, we upgraded Hangouts, so now you have to get a Hangouts account. Yeah. Like that would be awful. I love that it's just one sign-in. Yeah, I like Hangouts as well. I don't use Google Plus as much as you do. Um, I think the struggle there is I like Hangouts. If it died, I would be like, oh, there's only 15 other perfectly <laughs> valid options <Yeah>. for that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not particularly compelling as a service. Although I do have to say I'm curious about how much they're going to do with folding voice in because like I'm, I have a Nexus 7 tablet and in America for some reason they strip the phone features off of tablets. Like if you went to Asia and you bought like a Samsung you know, yeah. Note 7 or whatever, like it would also work as a phone on a regular cellular network. For some reason in Europe and the States they strip all that stuff out. But the Hangouts dialer lets you get around that, where I can make a regular phone call from my regular number because I use my Google Voice number. So I could, I mean, I'd look a little silly probably, but I could connect a, a Bluetooth <laughs> headset to my Nexus 7 and use it like a phone mm-hmm. as long as I data. You know, so I mean, it basically becomes a VoIP handset. And that, like, I can't well, do that with just any old IM client. I mean, having an audio conference with a person should no longer be matter which hardware you have. It's like, am I connected to the internet? Do I have a microphone and a way to hear them? Okay, I can contact them. <laughs> yes, I do agree with that. My problem is I like, I still like the security of a phone number because it's decentralized. So it's like I can make a call from Hangouts or I can make a call from my phone or I can make a call from Gmail. Like, because it's a phone number. I just need a tool yeah. that makes phone calls. You know, whereas like like we use Zoom at work. I love Zoom. Zoom's great, but you have to have the other person install the plugin on their end, you know? Yeah. Same thing with Skype. Like just, Skype is fine, but you have to have a Skype account. Just need to finish virtualizing phone numbers. <laughs> yeah. So that it yeah, it's just not tied to any hardware. Um, another thing Google has been in the news for is our Ars Technica was reporting that, uh, so when Google released Lollipop, they made it required that any device that had a passcode, um, so unless you're running fully public unpasscoded, which is crazy town, um, <laughs> that you had to have full, yet your platform had to, had to support and enable by default full disk encryption. And they've backed away from that a little bit. And I, I think this is a temporary back away, but it's still kind of disappointing. Um, and I th- the reason is performance. Because if, if you don't have a chipset that does hardware decryption, you take a big hit when you turn on the encryption. Yeah, asking the processor to do that at software time is not good. <laughs> yeah, I only have a little bit of sympathy, though, because chipsets that do it, and hardware, even for mobile, have been around for years. And so it's this is more a frustration I would have with the hardware ecosystem of Android of like, oh yeah, it's really hard to herd these cats forward. <laughs> um, and so instead of having customers not understand why their phone got so much slower when they upgraded the Lollipop, Google, Google changed their terms to say, you have to support encryption, but you don't have to turn it on by default. Yeah. And then they said, this should is going to be a must in the future. Right. Yeah, which <laughs> it, I, I trust them to eventually follow through on this for two reasons. One, because I think they believe that it's the right thing to do to make stuff as encrypted as possible. And two, Apple's doing it. <laughs> and they got a lot of praise for it. So th- 
Android is going to get called out pretty hard on being like, oh, so you followed Apple's lead, but then you weren't as good as them, so you couldn't actually <laughs> deliver. And it's like Apple has – this is the, the vertical integration advantage. Like they said, we'll only sell iPhones that can do this. Yeah. So then it's never a question of whether or not it can do it or not because every iPhone is an iPhone. And you can see Apple has positioned a lot of their marketing to be about privacy and encryption is kind of part of that. Mm-hmm. They're pushing that message of we don't make money off your data. Yeah, and I, I'd love to hear from an, a hardware expert about why this is so difficult because we have a Nexus 9 in the office, which has got like the newest hotness. It's got a, the big bad Tegra 1 chip. The thing is so damn slow. Oh, my God. It's so slow. I mean, sometimes it's really zippy, and then it like, well, it's, slows it's, it's to a crawl. It's hiccupy. It's like clearly has power, but like – it's clearly struggling to like mostly like you press the home button and you're just like, oh my god, show me the home screen. <laughs> Come on, Windows. I'm gonna Let's quit. Go. <laughs> but then like I have a, a 2013 or four, 2014, 2013, the newer Nexus Seven, and it has Lollipop finally because it was LTE, so they took forever to roll it out. But it runs great. Like yeah. it is literally faster now than it was with KitKat. It's amazing, and I have encryption turned on. And like my, I have a Moto X is my my personal phone, my mobile, and it uh, it has encryption turned on, and it's fine. So I think you know I can for I don't know if I'd say forgive. I can understand why the whole broader Android e- Android ecosystem isn't ready, just because there's a lot of leeway for companies to put great or terrible chipsets. Sure, but the Nexus Nine, yeah, that's come unfor- on. unforgivable. Come on, Google. The, the only excuse I can come up with, and it's not an acceptable excuse, it's just a reason, I guess, is it was a a relatively untested chipset because Lollipop was close to the wire. Like when it was getting to be launch time, like they were just wrapping it up. So I don't think they got as much testing time on that hardware as they probably should have, and uh, it sh- it just it shows. Yeah, I mean, I like the size of the Nexus Nine. I like the form factor. I like that the screen's it's really a, good. Yeah, smart screen ratio, and it's beautiful. But it's, it is not performant. Yeah, it makes it like I just have like a little tick when I use it. I'm just like flinching, waiting for it to hiccup and yeah. slow down. It's I'll, like I'll have to. You'll I'll I'll bring in my Nexus Seven and let you use it for ten minutes, and you'll just be like, "Oh, this is what Lollipop's well, supposed to feel like." I had a Nexus Four. I don't think I had encryption turned on but um i think it was never nearly that slow so i, I know no. it's not like it was, i had your nexus it's not forward. like it was not that slow it's not like android is slow it's a weird combination of the hardware and encryption yeah i mean it's really hard to optimize for all the hardware <laughs> it's i mean there's strengths and weaknesses to that approach and this is one of the weaknesses is you can't herd all the cats quickly <laughs> Tell me about this GPG thing. First off, you have to explain what that is because only the nerdiest of nerds. Yeah, so like GPG is an encryption standard for email that involves people publicly posting keys so that you can you can communicate encrypted over the internet with email. And it's it's just kind of notoriously complicated for regular people. 
to use. And so this was a, a, a guy's blog. He wrote an article about this. His name was Moxie Marlin Spike. Which is amazing. <laughs> so I pray to God that that is his birth name because that's amazing. And this guy writes a lot and has worked in a lot of open source projects around encryption and, and different uses of it and different utilities. And he was just basically, he wrote this interesting piece on, he thinks this approach to email encryption is not only a technological dead end, but a philosophical dead end. And so I have some quotes here. Um, so he said, In 1997, at the dawn of the Internet's potential, the working hypothesis for privacy-enhancing technology was simple. We develop really flexible power tools for ourselves and then teach everyone to be like us. And then, so he, that's his context. And he says, GPG is the result of that origin story. Instead of developing opinionated software with a simple interface, GPG was written to be as powerful and flexible as possible. GPG isn't the thing that's going to take us to ubiqui- ubiquitous end to end encryption. And if it were, it'd be a kind of a shame to finally get there with 1990s cryptography. <laughs> and, but I, my favorite point of his was that instead of, the, the whole thing about opinionated software. So instead of making something regular people would actually use, it was made to be super flexible and powerful. Well, and it's very power user. Yeah. Power user in mind. It's like, well, anyone who cares about security would be willing to figure this out. It's like, I don't think that's true. Yeah. And so it made me want to pose the question of where else in tech do are we we choosing the actually much more difficult task of training everyone to be different rather than making our software fit more closely to the way people are. Well, so you had a good example about the password. Yeah. And I honestly, I, I was looking at this. I granted it was late. It was, I was a little house of cardsy, but, <laughs> but I was like, that's the best one. Like we, we just had this conversation, uh, the other day in the office where, um, Someone was saying to me, like, well, how complicated is your password to log into your computer? I was like, well, it's, it's moderate length. But then I also use a password manager that locks periodically after not being used and after I log out or, uh, or Sleep. lock the screen. Yeah. So every time I come back to my computer, cause I lock my screen, even if I just go get a drink of water, I trust you guys, but not that much. So. Every time I come back, like I have to type in like forty something characters. Like it's a ton to do, but yeah. it's important, <laughs> you know. So, but most people don't feel that way, and especially like every time I have to log into one password on my phone, I'm like, oh man, that was annoying. <laughs> and it's like most of the stuff on your phone stays logged in because like you sign into an app, you're not logging into a website. And you have your, it's just like your one password gateway. You have the 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 gateway on your phone every time you unlock exactly. the long code. Yeah, so I have to unlock my phone, then I have to unlock one password. Otherwise, it wouldn't be secure. It'd yeah. just be like walking around with all of my filing cabinet paperwork all the time yeah. and not having it locked is ridiculous. So I just, I, I cannot think of it. The password is like, as long as there have been computers. And like, so the frustrating thing, and there are, there is work being done to, quote, kill the password, which I'm very encouraged by, and we need to get to things that aren't, password driven and the reason is not that hard passwords are somehow not a good secure approach it's that human beings aren't going to use difficult passwords they just won't yeah no the average person won't even use a moderately good password and it departments everywhere are trying to enforce behavior 
of, you know, oh, it's got to be, you know, and there's jokes. Comedians make jokes every month about this of like, uh, t- sorry, to sign into your account, I need a blood sample, your firstborn, I need your social security number, oh, I yeah. need, you know, I need the, the first place you kissed, I need, <laughs> like, it's just getting ridiculous. And people just, you know, and their password still ends up being dog, 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 butts. And <laughs> it's like, I met your length requirement, but it's still a shitty password. Right. And, well, apparently one of the most popular terrible passwords right now is baseball. Like, and I mean, are, are, are that many people hardcore baseball fans like that? That surprised me because like password, I understand or your spouse's name or your kid's middle names or something like I get it's terrible, but I get why someone would think yeah. that. But just baseball, like there's just the word baseball horse staple battery. <laughs> yeah, it's just. So I did think of this is the the closest good example I was able to come up with in my my Frank Underwood stupor. <laughs> Discoverable gestures on touch devices are first off we have not agreed on a common language for anything slightly complicated other than pinch to zoom I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> and like I've actually said to people like they'll be looking at their phone or something and they're asking me about an app and I'm like, "Oh, a well, long press." Like, "What?" I'm like, okay, this is how foreign that concept is to Yeah, the (laughs) words literally describe what you do, but the concept is so foreign that you couldn't put it together, which is not the user's fault. Like, I'm like, oh, you just, instead of pressing, you press for a long time. Yeah. You know, and, or like uh, the Ubuntu um, mobile OS, which I haven't gotten to play with, but I've, I followed it closely when it was new because I was excited and then it kind of never really delivered. Um, but some of the swipe gestures were like, no one is going to do that. Yeah. Because it involved, and you, I know iOS devices do this a little bit. It's, it's kind of becoming a thing on Android with Lollipop and, uh, and the latest KitKat, but you don't swipe in a direction. You specifically have to start off the screen and swipe onto it. Yeah. So, and it recognizes that as like, oh, you came from the side. You didn't just swipe in a direction. Yeah, so like going back in your browser, you can swipe from the edge. Exactly. And I don't feel like that's terribly discoverable. Like I if I'm a UI designer, I think you still put a button for back. You don't oh, just yeah. expect people to to magically. I think the biggest offender here was the initial version of Windows 8. It, oh, it yeah. was so gesture heavy and it was kind of like, you know, in the future everyone knows all these gestures and I'm like actually no one does and you hit all your settings and all your your multitasking behind side swipes, and no one like even yeah I know you had a tutorial when the system started once, <laughs> but which if I recall correctly was not there originally. Yeah, I think they added that in an early patch. I mean, I think one of the the best things for software design has been touchscreens because the general trend has been towards you have to be able to see it. Or else it's not part of the UI. Yeah, um, there's 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 no keyboard shortcuts happening, and you don't you know a menu bar is really you did it wrong if you made a touchscreen <laughs> app and you're putting menu bars in, and so I think that's been a big win. But then the creep of all these advanced gestures is kind of threatening to make these things not discoverable and obvious anymore. Well, this is I have to give some credit to OS 10 because there are a lot of crazy trackpad gestures you can do and i love all of them except the crappy back and forth in the browser yeah, i had to turn that one that's off. awful and i disable it because it's dumb 
but like the you can do like the five finger like explodey gesture and it like reveals the desktop and you can do like <laughs> explodey gesture yeah it's like a it's like a poof, it's like a like a poofy nobody can see my hand but it's like an explodey fingers um or jazz hands and you know you can do like a little rain dance and it like makes all the the windows go up what, it, what do you call it expose when they're all mission control it used to be expose what okay that <laughs> um you can like swipe between full screen apps with like three fingers and and I love all this. Like I think these are all good. But every single one of those things can be done with the mouse, and you never even have to know they exist. Yeah. And it's obvious how to do. And them they with le- the mouse. yeah. And there's one of them is like five fingers reverse explodey, like the big crunch. Pinch. And <laughs> five that, finger pinch. that'll show you Launchpad, which we don't ever use because we Alfred all the things. Mine's disabled. But that's another <laughs> example of by default a new Mac comes with an icon in the dock that also launches Launchpad. Right. There's an icon for mission control. There's also a keyboard button for both of these. And so the, uh, which I also never use because yeah, I have the gesture right. memorized. And so the gesture is always extra. It's never required. Right. And that's the way to go. I think I think that'll always be the way to go. Yeah, I mean it it creates a lot of really difficult user experience design problems because it's like how do we add a new thing that no one knows how to do but everybody already knows yeah. how to do? Like that's a really difficult problem. I think it's also a common mistake that people think what they're used to is intuitive. And it's like no, you learned that. Right. You like all my keyboard <laughs> shortcuts. User interfaces. <laughs> yeah. We, we've complained about that before. So, uh, we yeah. have, do we want to talk Pebble or we want to... All I care about is color e-ink. Okay. <laughs> I, I still think the Pebble looks remarkably geeky. and I think this one looks a lot... So, we're talking about the Pebble Time, which is the new Pebble that they, they launched on Kickstarter. They made their half a million dollar funding goal in like... 15 yeah, minutes. Impressive. They're at like tens of millions of dollars now. Aren't They're they? up to, uh, as of this moment, $12,203,376 and they have 24 days to go. So that means this is only six days worth of backing. And it's just, it's great. Like I, you know, you have a pebble. I used it for yeah. a while. Like it's a, I honestly believe this company is. They're going to go down swinging if they're going down. They're not going to go quietly. I'm still inclined to think they're just prolonging their death, but it's a strong showing of of prolonging death. And I mean, there's a chance that if they do go out or if they do end up just becoming an Android Wear company and and getting rid of the Pebble software, I still think they are helping to set important precedents in this space. Yeah. Well, battery life, they're they're sticking to that differentiator hard because... None of the LCD, Android Wear, or Apple Watch, none of them are going to last a week. No. Maybe they'll last two or three days in a couple years. And there's some that last over a day, but none of them have like cracked two days of real-world use. Yeah. And I don't think they will anytime soon just because physics. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're, they're sticking hard to that, that differentiator of like, yeah, battery life, seven days deal with it (laughs) done yeah because it's like you wear it to work all week and then you charge it on like friday or saturday night you're good to go for work on monday that kind of thing and that's and you know they also stuck to uh durability um it was important that it be you know waterproof because it's a watch so you need to be able to like wash your hands or go out in the rain you know i wouldn't go 
salvaging in the deep ocean yeah. with it, but it, it needed to make I wouldn't even that. shower in it, but you can. <laughs> yeah, but you you totally can. And the the only reason I really care about this is because I mean it's it's an interesting product and blah blah blah. But the thing that matters to me is it's a color e-ink screen and the refresh rate is amazing. Yeah, for e-ink it's it's a, you can actually watch animations. Yeah. Like they have a lot of cute little like an envelope opens. And I have to say I'm a little worried that it's – I hope you can disable or speed up some of those animations because <laughs> I don't want every time I get a mail message to have to sit through a big happy little envelope boop. opening. <laughs> Michael, you've got mail. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. They could probably get annoying. But it's it's an amazing display. Like the second I saw that, I was like, color e-ink Kindle, please, now yeah. for $79, please, tomorrow. If they can get like comic book magazine quality, e-ink. yeah. And th- that's the thing is, I was talking with somebody on Twitter about this, and they did point out like the color space is not that expansive. <laughs> it's this is very like early days is of it video like 16 gaming. Color, two fifty six. I think it's I think it's over two fifty six, but it's not a full. It's not sixteen point seven million. <laughs> it, yeah, it's not that. Um, but I mean, the thing is, like Pebble's been very honest about what the device is for, like. Yeah, okay, our, our original watch was black and white. What are you going to do? Watch a video on your <laughs> postage stamp-sized wrist screen? Like, yeah. that would be dumb. Don't do that. Even if you could, don't do that. So I I think, like, I just, I like them as a company. Like, they seem like they're smart. Like, they, they understand where this is going. The fact that they even have these big incumbents, like, stepping their game up when they're such a small company, like, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I want them to be successful or to at least leave like a lasting mark. I like just setting the bar of battery life so that people want more out of Android and Apple Watch. Like, yeah, I get it. There's a trade off of like the functionality for the battery life. What you're getting, you're getting crazy fitness tracking and and yeah, all the sensors, and NFC, the beautiful and, screen, all yeah. that. But I, I hope that. Android Wear and Apple Watch push hard on battery life in the next few years. Yeah, I think that's that's the only way they can survive because there's been – we don't have time to get into this now and who cares because the product doesn't even exist yet. But there's been rumors that the Apple Watch under heavy use is single-digit hours. I don't yeah. know if that's even the tiniest bit substantiated, but – the fact that people hear that and don't immediately say, no, that's impossible. They're like, yeah, the battery's tiny. It's like, holy crap. Well, I'm just, not going to charge my watch while I'm eating my lunch. Like, that's, I won't do I that. I think it, if it was actually true, like you could only use it for two hours, it would be publicly embarrassing. And I don't think that's what they're going to ship. I think it, it's more like, yeah, if you play the most intensive 3D game on this MacBook Air that normally gets 10 <laughs> hours, you'll get four hours because you're using everything at full tilt. Right, and I think that's what it's like, and I think the real use case for these watches is occasional glancing. Yeah, if you're writing emails on it, you're doing it wrong. It's not. If this category is going to be a thing, you can't be writing books on your watch. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I mean, I've I've always been curious about like, would I actually wear like a Pip Boy from Fallout? Like, a, would I wear something the size of my phone in, like, a gauntlet? If it was flexible and it would wrap around your arm? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be a full wrist wrap, but if it just curved, you know, to kind of meet my arm, like, it would look nerdy. It would never catch on fashion-wise because it's just way too sci-fi. But there is part of me that would be like, yeah, if I didn't have to carry a phone, if I could just have this thing on my wrist 
and then have like a little tiny in-ear Bluetooth thing a la her. And it's yeah. like that there's you're trading a lot of form for function there, but it is an interesting idea. But yeah. it's never gonna happen. Nobody's yeah. gonna pay that much for an, a hideous fashion atrocity. <laughs> All right. So where can people find these show notes? People can find these show notes at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 56 for the 56th episode. And I have to say one last thing. Um, You remember the movie Airplane? Yeah. So speaking of the dress, which I swear to God I was done with, but I forgot to mention this before. Somebody made an amazing parody gif from – a clip in airplane where he's walking through the airport and he's just like wailing on people. There's all these religious solicitors coming forward. Yeah. Offering. So instead of like pamphlets and Hare Krishna flowers and things, they all have pictures of the dress and they're like, what color is this dress? And he just starts wailing on after like the third. I love how the scene escalates because at first he like shoves someone off and then it's a little more violent of a shove and then it's a punch and the roundhouse (laughs) kick and then like throwing someone over. Body slams the guy. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just, it's classic. That like seventies, eighties comedy that we can't get away with anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So go check that out in the show notes at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash fifty six. Yes. Where can people find you on the internet? So Mike Edwards, uh you can find me on Twitter at Medwards Music or on the web at pseudomichael.com. P S E U D O, not U E. <laughs> EU. Think of Europe. The greatest thing about starting Sunrise Robot with you is I now know how to spell pseudo. I'm I'm a better person for being a part of this. Yeah. How about yourself? People can find me at lionsinbeta.com or lionsinbeta on Twitter. And uh, if you want to support the show, go to sunriserobot.net slash support. Uh, There you can find links to do uh, our Patreon, which... So we have to give a special shout out to uh, two of our Patreon supporters, uh, Bruce Edwards and Matt Mariner. We love you guys. Thank you very much for supporting uh, Flipping Tables and Sunrise Robot. And uh, one of the other things you can do on the support page is give us a rating or a review on iTunes. So we've mentioned before, just iTunes, unfortunately, is still kind of the de facto center of the podcast universe. And uh, lately, we've been getting like this slow, like kind of groundswell of more and more people leaving ratings and reviews. Every single one of them is appreciated. Every single one of yeah, them is valuable. Thank you so much. Yeah, we really, really appreciate you guys taking the time. Um, w- one of our listeners actually reached out to me and he was like, I've been having all these problems with iTunes. It's like giving me all these errors, <laughs> but I will contact the ghost of Steve Jobs himself <laughs> to get in there and leave these reviews. And I was like, awesome. Like he yeah. actually said he was going to bust out his Ouija board. Yep. So just like that's, I love that. That dedication is so much appreciated. Um, so go sunriserobot.net slash support. We really, really yeah. appreciate every single one of those ratings and reviews. If you're just checking out this episode on the web, please consider subscribing so you get all our new episodes. Um, sure, you only have to subscribe once, mm-hmm. and then you get flipping tables forever. Yeah. It's amazing. So we'll see you next week. 